it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pedro, two weeks since the last race in Australia, two weeks until the next race in Baku. How have you been filling your time? It's been a fantastic couple of weeks so far, and uh, I've been able to take a break. You know, and I've been teaching my my daughter how to drive because she's uh, she just went through the license test in Spain. So I had the chance to take a bit of a time off and teach my my daughter how to drive uh, properly. Let's say. It was fun. It was fun. And uh, I've been also pretty busy in Spain with different events, PR events, stuff like that. But it's always nice to have a weekend off every now and then. Oh, my goodness, it is. But I'm intrigued about Pedro de la Rosa, the driving instructor. Did it end in tears? Did you and your daughter have an argument about who knows best? No, because, you know, Tom, I've realized in uh, after these couple of weeks that I'm, I've, I'm a better instructor than driver, racing driver. So... <laughs> <laughs> I've been very patient, you know, which I wasn't when I was racing and uh, just uh, trying to be a, a proper instructor. We really enjoyed as a father and daughter, you know, to being together so many hours in a, in a car. The listeners of F1 Nation need to know whether she passes first time. The listeners can know already because she passed last Wednesday. That's that's amazing. The best teacher in the world. I thought you were looking a bit smug, actually. All right. <laughs> that's why you're a better teacher. Okay, I get it. <laughs> it was good. Oh, goodness. Well, I was trying to play golf with my eldest son. Golf is a delusional sport, isn't it? You watch the Masters, right? And you think, yeah, I can do what they can do. Whenever I've got a difficult putt, I go, okay, this is for a million dollars. This is to win the Masters. And of course, it never happens. You do one decent shot. And you think, I've got this. And then, of course, the very next shot, it all goes pear-shaped. I, I don't know why I do it, really. I've given up on golf. The good thing about golf is what you say, is that you, you do a shot that could be worth of, uh, you know, the best player in the Masters, but you do one out of 200, you know. But that shot is like, my God, I could play the Masters. Then the second shot, you realize, well, I should not watch the Masters too much. I should concentrate <laughs> on <laughs> more amateur golfing. <laughs> I'm imagining that John Ram, the, the winner of the Spanish, Masters... Spanish, by is, the way, yes. Of course, that's what I mean. It's, you've got Fernando Alonso and John Ram. That's the two big sporting megastars in Spain now, right? Well, I mean, John is, yeah, yeah as, as well, very big. Golfing is a, a minority sport so far, and uh, it's still we will need of many years of John Ram domination really to, to make it more popular. But yes, it is uh, he's a huge, a huge asset for the Spanish sports. However, motor racing is still ahead, you know, and it's just impressive how big it's getting in Spain right now. Well, should we talk Formula One? I think that's uh, we should, you know. We, we're not good at golfing. We're not good at instructing. Uh, <laughs> well, no, you are good at instructing. That's a lie. That bit's a lie. <laughs> El Maestro, you know. Aston Martin did a, a little piece of, uh, of, of you know, with Fernando, Jessica Hawkins, myself, Felipe, Lance. They put me El Maestro which is like the professor, you know, and it, it just, it made me feel very old. Actually, just before we get on with the show, I was at Aston Martin on Thursday last week doing an interview for F1 Beyond the Grid, the sister podcast to this, uh, which will come out in due course. I'm not going to tell you any more about it right now, but I was blown away by the facilities there now. Last time I was there, it was the old Jordan factory. Now it's some space age mega building. It's Funnily enough, mid-interview, there was a fire alarm. So we all had to evacuate the building. And I ended up standing next to Martin Whitmarsh while we were waiting to be allowed back in. And he was explaining that the new Aston Martin building, when it's finished, all four buildings, is going to be 400 metres long. It's quite extraordinary. It is. It's extraordinary. And uh, those 400 metres will be linear and you could you know go walking uh, from one side to the other just uh, in-house so it will be great uh, but also i think that what the most extraordinary is tom is the fact that we are achieving all these results 
without using the new facilities. You know, I think that the, the, this is something that people really don't know. They think that the, the Aston Martin performance is related to the, the, the new tools that, that the, the team has. But actually, those tools are still yet to be used. So that is encouraging. Well, and it proves that brain power is most important. Absolutely. Teams are people. People are the most valuable asset any team has uh, or any company has. Well, if it's not already obvious, you're joining us on F1 Nation with me, Tom Clarkson and Pedro de la Rosa. And we're going to be joined very shortly by Rob Smedley, who is Ferrari's former race engineer and Williams's head of trackside operations, among many other things. But Pedro, before Rob joins us, Let's just get your thoughts on the first three races of 2023. We haven't had you on the show since Saudi Arabia. What conclusions did you reach over the Melbourne weekend? Well, Tom, I mean, I think that since uh, Jeddah, the things haven't really changed that much, uh, especially because we went to Australia and uh, there was another clear dominance by Red Bull. Okay, that Checo had his issues in qualifying and he had to start from the pit lane. But then again, it just proved that uh, Red Bull have a a very a clear dominant car package that works everywhere that has a extremely good uh, tire degradation but more importantly is that the fact i think in jeddah we saw analyzing a bit the race results uh, it was shocking how quick they were both red bulls when they were fighting outright for the win you know at the end max was pushing like lap after lap Checo was defending himself so they were not managing uh, differences or tires or anything and they were just so much faster than everyone else, especially with the hard tires when everyone was trying to switch them on, get them in the right operating temperature window. But they were just straight on. And that highlighted the fact that they are very fast. And they are not only fast in qualifying with a DRS, like they have a very efficient DRS. Of course, they have a, a very efficient DRS, but they have just a very good overall car that works in very different tracks. Obviously, Baku will be different because it's a low downforce uh, track with a long straight, but do we see the Red Bull uh, not being as competitive in uh, in Baku as the first three races? Obviously not. Pedro, hold that thought because we are joined now by Rob Smedley. Rob, great to see you. How are you? I'm all right, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hi, Pedro. Hello, Rob. Long time. Uh, we hadn't uh, had a chat. It is a very long time. Hang on. Let's just get to the bottom of that. You guys used to work together at Ferrari. Is that right? 2013? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 2013 was my first year at Ferrari. And also, Rob, I think it was your last year because then you left us at 2014. And, and things went downhill after uh, Rob left us because <laughs> oh, really the situation, uh, it was really nice to, to work with Rob. I mean, and, and see how Rob was uh, working with Felipe, you know, back then. It was really nice and always working in the simulator together spending a lot of time with his driver, which was is a, quite a unique circumstance. And I, I learned a lot from Rob and uh, Felipe's relationship. It was really, really great to be able to have that uh, perspective. Thank you. Very kind. But then he left, you know. It was not the same anymore because also then Kimi arrived. He didn't want to do so much simulator testing and that was not didn't go well through in the organization because uh, there was some tensions uh, back then. Anyway, it's a long time ago and... Uh, since then, I have been following Rob, but we haven't had a chance to have a, a proper chat. Rob, just before you joined, Pedro was giving us his thoughts on the opening two races, but Jeddah in particular. Can we just get your summary of F1 2023 so far? Red Bull have done a good job and are continuing to do a good job. I think, you know, Pedro knows this from the inside. Aston Martin have done an amazing job, quite frankly. That gives me so much hope um, and happiness for Formula One, you know, that a team can make that type of step. And I think it's 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 really interesting, actually, right, just to ask Martin for, for a little bit, because everyone says, oh, massive investment, you know, huge amount of capital investment, huge amount of this, that, and the other. It's not all entirely true. You know, they're still operating out of the factory that I worked in in the late 90s with Eddie Jordan breathing down my neck. Um, all of that stuff will come on and stream in the next year or so but but right now it's just you know it's it's very nice to see it's a group of guys who've got together got their heads down and they're doing the work so they've done a, a great job still learning if i you know if i could say that you know as a, as a team learning how to win learning how to um you know win races and then eventually world championships 
I think Mercedes, you know, they started off on the back foot. Mercedes do a very clear job, let's say, with their outbound comms, you know, with their outbound communications of how depressed they all are. But they're, they're such a strong team that at some point they will come back. You know, I think young George was saying straight after the, the Bahrain race that he felt the Red Bull were going to win every race and Mercedes wouldn't win a single race. And it's 22, 23 races, Formula One seasons now. So for a team of that size and might, to be making those kind of statements one race in, I just don't think that rings true, to be honest. I don't think that's the conversations that they'll be having internally. And then Ferrari, you know, Pedro and I's, you know, old stomping ground. They're going through a transition. There's no doubt about that. You know, Fred Vassar has just come into the team. I think Fred is a canny operator. He's good at what he does. He was very good at Alfa Romeo. And I think that he will he will start to see the marks of of how good Fred is in the middle of this year. But again, it's a team that, you know, needs to step up and take the fight to Red Bull. So I think you, you've, you've got four teams there. Really nice to see another one coming into the top three, if you like. So now you've got the top four with Aston. But I'm more confident in the teams behind Red Bull than perhaps they, they, they may be in themselves, that they can do the job and, and catch Red Bull and, and take it to them. There's so much to ask you about what you've just said, but can we start with Red Bull? Are they further ahead than you were expecting before the season? Possibly a little bit, but if you go back to when teams dominated, dominated, it's not like they're out qualifying teams by huge amounts. You know, teams need to find time, and the, and the drivers need to maybe find a little bit of time, and and importantly, the trackside team needs to optimize the car. You know, for all of these teams that are behind Red Bull, but they're catchable, right? They're definitely catchable in the in in the qualifying sessions that we've seen up to now. They they are, are definitely surmountable. Then in the race, they have a strong car. There's no doubt about that. But again, I don't think that you can look at it and say, oh, it's, it's all over, you know, and, and, and they can't be caught. So they probably are a little bit further ahead than any of us thought, um, but certainly not by the margins that perhaps we're all kind of getting comfortable with. And, and Pedro, are Aston the people to catch them first? Well, uh, I hope so. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's... But it's true what Rob says. I mean, they're catchable and they obviously will have less time to develop the cars in the wind tunnel than other teams and there's other, you know. But the truth is that the gap is pretty big, you know. So they're catchable. There's only three races that have uh, gone and there's plenty of laps, I mean, laps, laps and, 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 and races to go. It's a long season ahead, but we are under a development race right now. However, you have the feeling that they have such a complete package. That is what the worrying factor is. I mean, they're quick in, in qualifying. Yeah, okay, maybe they're not as dominant as in the race. Which circuit will they struggle? None. You know, they're quick everywhere. They are efficient. They're fast on the straights. A difficult car to overtake. They are just uh, super good on the tire deck as well, switching on the tires. So they're catchable, and that's the approach. Every team has to believe so. But when will this happen? This is the biggest question, you know. It might be too late. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're currently in the middle of a four-week break during the season, during which the teams are able to work on their cars. Unprecedented in my time in Formula One to have this level of break. But who wants this break the most and what is going on in the factories? I mean, does this give Aston Martin, for example, who have got 50% more wind tunnel time than Red Bull, is this break a defining moment for you guys? Because you can 
just throw everything at it. When I was there last week, they said, no, no, the focus at the minute is still the 23 car. We haven't started thinking about the 24 car. It's all about making this car better. Are we going to turn up in Baku and see a change in the pecking order? Wow, a good question, Tom. I really don't know, really. I mean, I don't think that the fact that we have one month of no racing has changed at all the approach of the teams. They are still working flat out. Uh, in the wind tunnel every week trying to extract the most uh, number of points in the wind tunnel and I think that what is defining the development race is the budget cap more than this cap of one month and the fact that teams won't start producing those parts that are already faster in the wind tunnel until you have a decent amount of points accumulated and then you press the production uh, button let's say you know so I think that is the what I, I have been really shocked about the modern Formula One is how much the budget cap, how much effect it's having on the development phase, on the development rate of, of, of parts, and how cautious the teams are in actually producing any part that is going to cost them money if they are not fully sure that it will be um, an improvement or not. So this is uh, quite interesting to follow. But as I've said, you know, I mean, the frustrating thing about Formula One is that all teams now have models in the wind tunnel that are a lot faster or faster than their current cars. But some yeah. of them are just holding back to have more points in the wind tunnel to actually produce those parts. So let's see who builds these new cars, concepts, parts in time for Baku or wait further again in, in time. We will see. It will be interesting. I mean, for me, the biggest question mark is Mercedes, where, where they are with this their, their new concept and when are they going to introduce this new car, really? Exactly, as, as Pedro said, the actual development of the car is, is not going to change because there's a, a month-long break. So the guys, they'll have had the program set out. It's very clearly set out as to how that wind tunnel program is going to be running and whether or not there's a race team you know, traveling around the world or not makes makes very little difference to that. Where this can help the teams who are perhaps, you know, they, they need to catch up is that there's less distraction because the racing element is always a distraction. So when you're behind, you know, and I've been in this situation myself before, with so many races coming at you, when you've got little problems like these little niggles, like there might be reliability problems or you can't quite understand how to optimize the car or whatever, you can never get ahead of it because you've got to just get prepped for the next race and go and execute that race. And then there'll be a new set of problems that come out of that. And then you've got to, you know, you're either a week or two weeks into the next one and you never actually get ahead of it. So I think for the more operationally based guys, and as I said, for if there's any little reliability things, which we've seen with Ferrari at the start of the season, this gives them a chance to kind of breathe, to take stock and to, to get ahead of those problems. So they can come out in Azerbaijan, let's say, with a more optimized and a more reliable package. Now, where they will be on development is exactly what Pedro's just explained, you know, because everybody's got these super quick cars in the wind tunnel, but they're all holding back because of the budget cap, because you can't just keep bringing, you know, one, two, half a point or whatever it is to, to each and every race, like the top teams used to. It's a very different Formula One now, but I think that, you know, with teams like, let's pick on Ferrari for a little bit, Ferrari have openly said that perhaps they're not optimizing their car at the track during the race weekend or, you know, they've had reliability struggles as well, then this gives them a chance to kind of get on top of that. This, you know, not having this constant cycle of having to get on an aeroplane or half your organization or half the, 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 the brains in your organization, let's say, get on an aeroplane and go and execute a race. So if Ferrari turn up in Baku with exactly the same car as they had in Melbourne, you think that'll be a faster racing car just because it'll be more optimal? It could be. If they, you know, they've got to get their heads down, use their simulation tools, use everything that they, they've got available to try and understand that. But it could well be. I mean, certainly you would hope that, you know, any little reliability issues that are holding the team back, either from, you know, going flat out or from a performance point of view, they'll have got around that. So, yeah, it could well be, Tom. I mean, there's no guarantees, but we could see, you know, some change in that order behind Red Bull. Tom, I think that one, one important thing about Baku is the fact that it's a low downforce setup or, the, you know, circuit. So I, I'm pretty sure that all teams will turn up with uh, Baku-specific rear wings, front wings, and we will be talking about the developments. Every, every car is different. But hold on, you know, I think that most of the changes will, will be adaptations of the car to the specific track rather than 
developments, you know. So we have to be careful about what is an improvement or, uh, you know, a, a lap time gain or just uh, an error change. As a general rule, then, track-specific stuff is wings, whereas, you know, McLaren are talking about bringing a new floor to Baku, and therefore that would be a development part rather than a Baku part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a uh, floor is uh, and also an expensive part. I mean, uh, a floor is... Uh, a big part of the of the of the budget cap already. <laughs> this you cannot build so many uh, floors and wings, and you know, I mean, teams are really thinking about how many parts are we going to have new five floors, or let's try to get away with just two plus one, maybe. You know, it is it's incredible. I mean, that they're, they're really risking it. The teams, the big teams, I'm talking about. You know, all teams across the field. It's not like it used to be that you could actually have a, a crash and. We're going to these tracks like Baku or Jeddah that are really, or Australia, where it's so easy to have a, a small mistake and destroy a car. And and now the teams, the first thing when you have a, a crash is the first question they ask themselves is, do we have enough parts to go out again? And secondly is how much this is going to affect our budget cap. This break also gives Ferrari a chance to talk to the stewards, the Australian stewards, because tomorrow, uh, April the 18th, Carlos Sainz's five-second penalty is back in front of the FIA stewards. And Ferrari have got to prove, now I think I'm right in saying this, that there is significant new and relevant evidence for Carlos to get reinstated back in the points. Have you guys experienced this kind of thing before? And what sort of significant new and relevant evidence are we likely to see? It was for Rob that he's a Ferrari specialist. <laughs> but generally in Formula One, in your careers, guys, have you have you had something like this before or any examples you can give us? Yeah, I think I think that there's plenty of examples. I mean I'm trying to I say there's plenty of examples and I can't think of one. I think the last one <laughs> where I did this was um at Williams actually. It was either twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen when Felipe and Checo Perez crashed down at turn one, if you can remember, towards the end of the race. Massive accident, huge, huge accident between the two cars. What race are we talking? Canada. Oh, massive accident, yes. Do you remember it? That was a good old bash, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> and at that point, what we were trying to ascertain was whether or not Checo had moved on the braking. I think at the end of the race, it was deemed a racing incident. And then we saw it as not being a racing incident because Felipe was adamant that Checo had moved on to break it. And I don't think that the stewards at that point had even even applied that that part of the ruling that, you know, whether or not a, a car had moved on to break it. So we went back and we did a full investigation and we looked at every single camera angle that was available and then took it to the stewards. I can't remember where it was. It was the very next race. We actually went, it was, it was one of those nice ones where you didn't have to go to Geneva um, or Paris, where you could just do it at the next race. But yeah, there's plenty of examples of this. I think it's quite normal, to be honest. But you're right, Tom. What you you have to bring new and relevant evidence. You know, otherwise the stewards just won't look at it. I think it's a difficult one, Rob, because what is the new evidence, really? I mean, that the tires were cold, that the, the brakes were cold, that it was the first lap or uh, first braking. I mean, this is all well known. Yes. Uh, when you're driving the car, you know all these things. You know, I mean, it's true that. Australia, turn one, it has always been very marginal at that time of the day and that time of the year. The, the the sun is very low, so it's really, you're on a blind spot, but that's part of racing. I mean, it is part of racing. It's the same for everyone. So how can you argue against a decision? You can argue that it's a harsh decision. Yes. Yeah, that it, it, there are many, many reasons to that contributed to that crash, but at the end of the day, it's racing. There was a, a driver error, full stop. You know, I mean, I think that I'm not keen on situations being reviewed every now and then, weeks after the race, because this is not part of the sport, shouldn't be part of the sport. Do you think Ferrari will claim that Fernando moved or, or did something untoward that Carlos wasn't expecting? Oh, I mean, it's difficult. He had to take the corner. I mean, that is the the, the, the reality, no? I mean, Fernando could have uh, gone in onto the grass, but that's not part of racing. You have to go on the track limit. So honestly, I think that it was just a harsh decision. Uh, but bottom line is that it won't change anything. That is the reality. Okay, you heard it here first, everybody. Um, look, while we're talking Ferrari, can we just talk about the sort of pressure that they'll be feeling 
uh, just from the you know the local media. Even I did see over the weekend that Lapo Elkin, who is brother of Ferrari president John Elkin, he came out and said that Ferrari need to wake up. And I'm I'm quoting Lapo there. If you've got the brother of the Ferrari president saying things like that, then every day Gazzetta della Sport, that the sports newspaper in Italy has got to produce two pages of content about Ferrari and it's not going well. It's a wake up call for poor Fred Vasseur, if nothing else, isn't it? Tom, you know, I, when I was at Ferrari, I remember in the Monday morning after a bad result, I got to the factory and uh, I went into Stefano's office and there was the... Uh, La Gazzetta dello Sport opened, you know, his mail, his office desk, and I realized that we were in trouble. You know, that's a bit the uh, radiography of uh, of what Ferrari is like. It's it's a difficult team. There's a lot of huge pressure from the press mounting up, and the moment that you don't, you haven't had a good result that specific weekend, you have a you know ahead already on Sunday at at 4 p.m. You already know what kind of week you're going to have the next week. And Rob was uh, on the front line of fire, so I'm pretty sure that he experienced that. Yeah, you do. I mean, Pedro's absolutely right. You know, the, the, the media is almost part of the team. And lots of team principals have, have you know, had a go at either embracing that or, or trying to stop that. But in the end, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a fact of life that the media and the, the strength of the Italian media... Or well, the power of the Italian media is is inveigled in 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 the team psyche, absolutely. You know, so when you have a good race, they will write brilliant things about you. And when things aren't going as well, then you know, it just needs somebody you know with the with the gravitas of Lapo Elkin to to say something like Ferrari need to wake up, and that becomes a thing. That becomes a real thing within the team. Now, depending on you know how much. Fred can protect everybody from that is depending on how much people get distracted, but it, it can be a distraction. And I know I know from personal experience that it can be a distraction, you know, especially when it's about you personally. But I think that as time goes on, you know, the more senior guys there, you just learn to deal with it. It just becomes part of what you do. And, you know, as Pedro mentioned, you know, Stefano would have the, 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 the Gazetta open and, you know, there would even be a dossier of what was being written you know, when I first got to Ferrari, there was this dossier that was kind of handed out on a, every single morning about what was written. You know, there, there was a recap on it. And I think that Ross Braun, when he was there, really keen on getting rid of all of that, because it, it just is, you know, to use that word again, it's a distraction. You kind of get to grips with it, you get to deal with it, and then it just becomes white noise. You just got to make it white noise in the background. Is it just white noise or does the management start to listen to the media? It's on an individual basis, Tom, because for me, by the end of it, it was total white noise. I didn't care. When I first got there and you kind of, you know, especially when I first joined the racing team with, with Felipe, you're held up on this pedestal and you're made to, you're kind of reading about yourself and you're thinking, actually, I'm really good. I'm, 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 I'm a fantastic <laughs> engineer. And then six months later, they're writing exactly the opposite. Then you're thinking, oh my God, I'm terrible. After about two years of this, you're just kind of like, okay, it's just a cycle. It goes up, it goes down. And, and everybody deals with it individually. Some people deal with it badly, uh, let's say, and, and, and it affects their, their output and their outcome. Don't you think that, that the fact that you were a foreigner back then in, in a Ferrari, that it made your approach, your, your approach was perfect. You know, I mean, I think that that's one of the reasons why the, the foreigners do so well at Ferrari is because they are not affected as much by the press, mainly because you don't understand the press or the Italian press, the Italian. Uh, although, Rob, you spoke Italian towards the end, yeah? After 55 years at Ferrari, you just knew a few. I spoke Italian after six weeks, Tom. Yeah, six weeks, yeah. It's in your dreams, my friend. It's good for the foreigners, but the, the Italian engineers, mechanics, the people that work there on a day-to-day work and uh, and they are Italian, they feel the pressure and it's also not about the language itself, but it's also about the, the education, you know, what Ferrari really means and how how much pressure they manage to handle. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kate. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A few words on Williams. Where do we think they're at? I mean, Alex Albon qualified eighth in Australia, then crashed. Logan Sargent had that unfortunate crash at the final restart, I think it was, with Nick de Vries. So uh, a frustrating weekend for them. But do you see progress from Williams in these opening three races? Rob, let's start with you. Yeah, for sure there's some progress. You know, when we look at our analysis, they are the second or the third most improved team, depending on what the round is. But they've come from far back, right? I mean, we shouldn't be be shy of saying that they needed to improve as well. So improving and just getting into the midfield, they were they had to make a massive leap, which they've done. And that's good. That is is certainly encouraging. But for all the, the, the people there and the heritage of Williams, that's not enough. They need to do more and they need to do better. And in fact, you know, I know that, that that James Bowles, you know, Williams' new team principal, he won't mind, he absolutely will not mind me saying that because in, in conversation with James, I know that that's the message that he's giving to the team. You know, he's told me that directly, that his message to the team is, this is great, you know, we're on a solid footing, but this is just the start. We need to start getting on with things now. And that is reviewing and modifying and changing the operation, the processes, everything that you do in order that you you leave no stone left unturned and you get on this continuous improvement path you know so it's good that they've got themselves on on solid ground they certainly need to get the points on the table that are available to them which has been a little bit unfortunate as as you just pointed out tom in the last couple of races they haven't done that but they need to use this positive momentum now to push themselves forward and 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 to do better than what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm I've been very impressed by Williams' uh, development since our improvement from last year. Albon was flying in uh, in Australia and he was comfortably the fastest driver in sector two, which is basically one high speed chicane and uh, two straights. So the car is definitely very fast, very efficient, very in the straights. And I think in Baku they could really do very well uh, with uh, with uh, the type of uh, layout uh, that we are facing. And let's see, you know, I mean, the question really is, why are they so slow in the low speed corners? Are they not producing the enough downforce? But they are really quick everywhere else, except for low speed. Low speed is just, they, they, they lose all the time in the low speed corners, apparently. But anyway, the, I think that the teams have to look at step by step and they have made a massive uh, step from last season for sure. And they're going to be very frustrated that they've only got the one world championship point, which, funnily enough, is what they had after three races last year. But can we just speculate as to why they're so slow through the low speed corners, um, you know, mechanical grip? Why are they suffering so much? What could it be? We have an engineer here, so I, 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 he has to be spot on right now. You know, I mean, this is a question where we can prove how good is Rob. I'll give you the answer that, like, 400 people at Williams can't give you. Uh, collectively, Rob, I thought you were going to to blame the drivers. Normally, that's what race engineers do. I was I was just getting to that. You <laughs> you 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 cut me off. So I was just going to say it's basically Alex Albon and and that young sergeant chap. So they're not good in loss because no, the real reason it will be downforce. They won't have the downforce on the car in in the low speed corners. If they've picked the philosophy. And that's a philosophy that is, whether or not they've picked a philosophy or that philosophy have chosen them with a slippery car, let's say, as, as Pedro was just explaining, you should be very careful about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as it, as it were. So, so you don't want to lose that, you know, in, in terms of, oh, let's just get a load of downforce on the car. Because what usually happens then is you end up putting inefficient downforce on the car which means that you pick up a little bit of time in the low-speed corners, but then you lose all of that, the advantage that you've got in in high-speed corners and in a straight line. And that was a little bit what we were very aware of and probably, you know, latterly at Williams where they took the wrong direction of the car that we had in 2014, 2015. It was super slippery in a straight line, didn't go around corners very well, but was able to almost win races and come third in the World Championship. 
So you've got to kind of be sure that you are not getting rid of the good bits of your car. But probably there's a lot of stuff that, that they can be doing um, in terms of mechanical grip. But essentially, this is an aerodynamic formula and you can't just kind of sit back and go, well, there's nothing else that mechanical design people are not going to do anything you know we're going to sit back and wait for the aero people to do it but you've got to kind of put the two things together and get that car working better in low speed corners certainly generating a little bit more tight temperature or a little bit more grip is really important is it still the aero formula that it once was with these new regulations because damon was telling us the other week how adrian newey has spent more time working on the suspension of these cars than he has the aero is it so prescriptive now that you actually can't find the gains in the wind tunnel that you used to be able to? I think it's, it's still, I mean, I'm not an engineer, so Rob, uh, if, if you think uh, otherwise, just, just, just shut up, okay, please? So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, is, it is clear that it's, uh, it will always be a aerodynamic dominated formula. But however, I mean, because of the, the, the operating window where you generate the downforce is pretty narrow now with a uh, ground effect, uh, the suspension has... Uh, is, is recovering its territory or its importance. All in all, it's a package, as Adrian always says. Uh, however, let's be realistic. It's still dominated by aerodynamics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've answered it. Great, great job, Pedro. Look, quick word on McLaren as well. Um, I was interested to see that Zach Brown, the boss there, was at the Long Beach IndyCar race over the weekend, racing in the historic Formula One race in his 1981 Williams. So Zach's still having a great time. But what do we think of McLaren's performance so far this year and also the changes that they've made going forward with this trio of technical bosses following the departure of James Key? Well, I mean, the funny thing is, Tom, here is that Andrea Andrea Stella was engineering Fernando when uh, Rob was engineering Felipe. So I mean, if there's two guys out there then that know each other well, uh, Andrea and, and Rob, I mean, they were mates for decades in at Ferrari. I would nearly a decade. Anyway, my opinion is that Andrea will become a fantastic team principal if he will have the time to deliver. That's a different matter. I agree. I think that Andrea has all of the attributes. You know, he's he's, he's a good leader, Andrea. That's definitely one thing that you can say about him. He's very calm. You know, he has a good enough knowledge of the technical aspect of all the technical aspects of a Formula One car. You know, he's and, and, and he's not afraid of change. And I think that he just has a good feel for Formula One. And if you're going to be a good team principal, you need a, you need a feel for it as well. You know, you need to have, you know, a good analytical basis for the decisions that you make. But you've also got to kind of guide the team as to where it's going and some of that has to be done on just having a good innate knowledge so I think that Andrea will do well I think that the people you know I work with David Sanchez at Ferrari and he's very good technically you know understands aerodynamics very well very passionate about he's my next door neighbor actually um in Maranello and you know very nice guy but also does know how to the 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 important bits of designing a fast Formula One car and the important bits of, of, of getting performance out of a Formula One car aerodynamically. So I think that, you know, you've got a good team which is being put together there, prod, you know, as a, as a massive amount of, of experience and will continue to deliver for McLaren. If we can mention the incumbent for a moment, it was a, it was a shame to see James leave the team. But that's Formula One, I guess. You know, Formula One is, is, is brutal. I worked with James a long time ago when we first started our career. In fact, we were two race engineers together at Jordan. So I was with Giancarlo Fisichella and James Key was with Takuma Sato. So yeah, you know, it's uh, he's, he's done a good job there and he's done a good job in other teams. So it'd be nice to see him do well somewhere else. But, you know, it's time for a fresh start at McLaren. I think under Andrea's leadership, you know, Zach as the chief executive and then three technical chiefs that they're putting around themselves there. Hopefully we can see good things at McLaren and see that brand come back to the front. But when you look at the organisational chart at McLaren, where does the buck stop technically? Because there is no de facto technical director. So is that necessary? Or when you have a 50-50 decision to make about do we turn left, do we turn right? What avenue are we going to go down? If you don't have a technical director, who makes that call? No, because I think there's clear demarcation. I think the, the, a single technical director, the teams are too big now, Tom. They're just way too big. The technical organisation and the level of details, you know, a, a technical director 
within a Formula One team is still operational. It's not somebody who is navigating where the ship's going to be sailing to in the next 10 years, you know, what new technology you're going to bring in. And that's what we would call a chief technical officer. These guys who have director in their title, they're still operational, so they're still decision makers. And, and there's clear demarcation as to the areas that where they're going to be, be making decisions. So, you know, what you've got to get is, is, is Andrea's job now is to make sure that all three of them are collaborating well together. And, you know, you don't get into a situation where one of them or two of them are looking at, you know, the other one and thinking, well, that's a bit of a weak link and, you know, we probably have to override some of the decisions or whatever. Because once you get into that, then you get in the water. You need all three to be operating at a very high, you know, a significantly high level, you know, a high functioning team, which all rely on each other so that you get this synergetic effect. And that's what brings you a good cut. I, th I think also that interestingly about McLaren is that I don't think they have a problem with the with the people, you know. I mean, they have the the, the biggest issue I would say is the the tools, the wind tunnel. You know, they have been working on uh, the wind tunnel of uh, Toyota for now more than ten years. I would say this is something that if you are fighting against the top guys with uh, they all have their own tools, you need to have your own tools. Otherwise, you cannot keep the development pace. But I'm sure that they are on top of it, and they are. I, I've been told they're building a new wind tunnel. Don't know when it will be uh, finished. Later this year, Pedro. Later this oh, year. So that that will be a massive boost for McLaren. And uh, as Rob says, uh, Andrea is a great leader. Because when I was uh, at Ferrari, I mean, I was really impressed with him, uh, especially when uh, he was talking on the radio with Fernando. It was impressive how much respect Fernando had for Andrea. When things went wrong, you could sense that Fernando was asking. Andrea for for the for his point of view, you know, which is very uncommon. He's a really he's a great leader, as Rob says, and he will find the the right route to success for sure. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Last team I was going to ask you about, guys. Alfa Romeo. You know, Bottas finishes eighth in Bahrain. But it feels like the team has struggled since then. You know, the car hasn't got into Q3 with either driver. They introduced a new front wing in Australia, which didn't seem like a, a big step forward. You know, Luca Fabato has left the team to go to Aston Martin. Um, they've poached him just... I wonder if that's having an effect. What do you guys think of, of where Alfa Romeo are and what Andrea Seidel is thinking as he's trying to prepare, you know, the Sauber team for the arrival of Audi in 2026? Well, I think that, I think that this is a marathon, you know. I think that uh, Andreas uh, understands that this is not a one-year deal or a one-year project. It's a marathon and uh, they've just covered the first kilometer. So there's uh, still a lot of a lot of kilometers to be covered. And uh, I think that uh, they have uh, incredible tools at the Sauber team. They have incredible people. They've lost Luca, which is a massive asset for us, I must say. But I'm sure that they will be recruiting strong talent as well. All in all, I would say Alfa Romeo, difficult to judge from my point of view. Very inconsistent sometimes. Uh, sometimes they're really fast. Sometimes they're really slow. They, they, they seem to depend very much on the on track and uh, also on the tire management. The, sometimes they, they seem to bring the tires into the right operating window. Sometimes they're out of uh, sync. So I, I don't know, really. I don't know enough from the, from the team. But uh, as I've said, this is a, a long-term sport and they will, they will play the game and they will be a, a title contender in a few years. That's strong, Pedro. Um, 
it's exactly what Pedro says, right? They are. It's the. I, I see this as a transition period for them. Andreas is is moving from McLaren across to Alpha. They've got two decent drivers there now, definitely. You know, I worked with Valtteri um, a lot in the past, and and he's he's proven to be you know a, a very good talent in Formula One. And Joe is is getting on terms with him now, so so definitely the the drivers are good. Lost some of the technical talent out of the team, that is clear. We shouldn't forget about the arrival of Audi as well. You know that's going to be an important factor in the future of that team. So I think that they're building, they're developing, and and you can look at Aston Martin last year, can't you? And it, you've got exactly the same thing, and say, oh well, our Aston Martin never going to come to the front, and then all of a sudden they make a massive step like they have now. Whether or not Alfa Romeo can do that, I don't know, because that's kind of fairy tale stuff. But can they chip away at it and get back to the front, especially with that manufacturer backing? Um, it's certainly um, a possibility. You know what they need, Rob? Well, they need good engineers. That's what they need, isn't it? I knew you were going to say that. Right. Well, we'll stop this this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> do you miss uh, race engineering, Rob? Come on. Tell us. No, I don't miss race engineer, and I haven't done race engineer for a long, long time now, Pedro. You know, when I was at Willie's, I kind of run all of the the, the, the race team, so that was a, a different experience. Um, I've been public about this lots of times. If the right project come up, I would be interested. Of course I would, but it's got to be the right project. I'm, I'm lucky enough that I still get, you know, offers now to go back into Formula 1, but I don't want to go back into Formula 1 to make up the numbers. I want to go to Formula 1 where it's a team that has a strong possibility and is committed to winning. You always miss that Sunday afternoon, that buzz on a Sunday afternoon when when you're racing and pitting yourself, you know, and all the work that the thousand men and women in your team have done and you're pitting that against another competitor. That's a drug. You can never not miss that, having experienced it for 20-odd years. But, you know, do I want to go and make up the numbers no thank you talking of numbers if you get a deal out of this pedro and i want our 10 percent or 15 what what are our what are our terms pedro i can't remember 10 percent for you i, I i'd make a deal <laughs> a private deal with rob myself you you take 10 percent. i'll make a private deal <laughs> but rob one going back on the race engineering when i when i came to ferrari in 2013 and you were working with felipe i thought that you were a great i mean a great engineer but a great psychologist which is very important part of of the of the work that a modern race engineer has to do, you know, with the driver. Because you knew Felipe very well, you always told him the right how to encourage him or just feed him the right information at the right time. So, and one thing that always stood out from you is that the first ever race I was with Ferrari in 2013. I remember going to qualifying, getting my headphones, and while Felipe was on his fastest lap, you know, I mean, he was pushing like crazy. And then I listened to the radio and you said, come on, boy, <laughs> come on, boy. And I thought, my God, is this real? Or, I mean, you know, to, to listen to Rob, like, you know, on the, of, of course you were picking up the right time spot, which was at the main straight, you know, on the, before turn 10, you know, the old 10, 10, 10, you know, uh, you picked up the right time, but you were just giving him the encouragement through the lap. <laughs> it was unique, unique. And what, you wouldn't have wanted anyone talking to you on a quality lap, is that what you're saying? Oh, I wouldn't have, but he knew that Felipe liked it, you know. I mean, that's what I'm saying when he, you know, every one of us is different, but it's just the fact that I would have told him, just shut up, you know. <laughs> I would have kept talking anyway. I, I don't need this crap now, but <laughs> Felipe loved it and he performed super well, you know, and actually he was super quick in qualifying as well. Felipe, baby, so. stay cool, stay cool. No, come on. Come on, let's not go there. <laughs> now, guys, let's move on to Ask the Nation, where we answer your questions about Formula One. And if you have a question you'd like to ask us, record it as a voice note and send it to us at the following email address, f1nation at f1.com. And we've got a couple coming your way this week. Here's our first one. Hi, guys. I'm Will from New Zealand. Um, I just wanted to pick your guys' brains about that Red Bull driver lineups. New Zealand have a young guy in Liam Lawson, who's racing in Super Formula at the moment for the Red Bull junior team, and we're all backing him to hopefully make it into a Formula One seat next year. 
It's an interesting one because I don't think Checo will get a seat again next year. And I wonder about Yuki at AlphaTauri um, having been given three years, perhaps not having proved himself. Um, and then, of course, Nick DeVries hasn't performed so well so far. So, yeah, what do you guys think is going to happen? Of course, we have to take Daniel Ricciardo into the mix now, too. Let me know what you think. Hey, well, Will, thank you for that question. And yeah, you're right. Liam Lawson uh, is not only competing in Super Formula this year, but he won the first race of the season at Fuji Speedway uh, just the other weekend, beating people like Kamui Kobayashi, who ex-Formula One driver. So he's clearly the real deal. What do you guys think about the future driver lineups at Red Bull and AlphaTauri? I mean, Red Bull, you have to say, are pretty darn strong at the minute. Max Verstappen, Checo Perez. You're going to be going some to better that. I really think that Checo will stay at, at Red Bull or should stay because he's been getting stronger and stronger race by race since he joined Red Bull. And he's proved that uh, it's not easy to adapt to a big team, to a, a car, especially with this new, new, new Formula One. There's very few drivers that you throw them into a, a new car, a new team, and they just will perform. They will adapt themselves to the car. Most of the drivers need that cars to adapt to themselves. And I think Checo is an example, and he's really now managed to adapt the car to his driving style. These new modern Formula Ones are really complex. You have no testing, plus on top, you need to play with uh, what the engineers call the toys, which is uh, the brake balance, the brake migration, the engine braking the div maps. I mean, it's just pretty complex. It's not only about spring and bars. It's a lot more complex than that. So I think that now that Checo is performing so well, uh, I don't see like Red Bull considering uh, changing him. Then in Alpha Tauri, only time will tell because uh, if Sunoda and Nick do a good job, they will continue. If one of them doesn't do a good job, they will obviously there will be a space possible from maybe Lawson, maybe I don't know. I mean, it will also depend on what Lawson does in the Super Formula. If you win every race, your chances are very high to step into Formula One, no matter what category you are in. So I think that I always said when I was doing a, a, a you know a Formula Three Thousand back in Japan, I said I need to win every race. Only by doing that, I might get a chance. Might get a chance. But don't think about what Tsunoda, Nick, or Checo are doing. Just give it all and make sure you dominate. It's not enough to win nowadays to get a Formula 1 chance. You need to dominate. So that's what Liam Lawson needs to do. Yeah, my thoughts on it are, you know, I mean, it's aligned with what Pedro said. I mean, it's it's difficult that the senior team are going to make a change, right? Checo is doing a really good job now. And they've got good harmony within that team as well. And Max is performing. And which is something that obviously, you know, as, as they publicly say, there's no number one, there's no number two, but they're very, very interested in how Max is, is doing and, and Max's welfare and Max is performing and Max is happy. Checo is getting the points that, that he needs to get. So I think that it would be difficult to see a change in that senior team. The junior team or Alpha Tauri is, is, is a different kettle of fish altogether. That is a team that I think they, they want to rotate the drivers through. Whether or not Liam Lawson gets his chance in there is another thing. As, as, as Pedro said, he's got to prove it. It's a meritocracy, right? It should be a meritocracy. It shouldn't be about, you know, whether what your nationality is or, or the money that you bring or any of that. It should be a meritocracy. And I think Red Bull have always been fairly good at just trying to, to, to unearth the best talent to get him up into the senior team. Daniel's an interesting proposition though, isn't he? I wonder what we think about that because will Daniel ever get a chance? You know, there's publicly they've said that there is no space for him and, and there won't be any space, you know, and maybe he's just, you know, he's, he certainly looks like he's enjoying himself in, in the stuff that he's doing with it. But is there any chance that, that he would come back to a senior seat in, in uh, Formula One? What do we think about that? He's knocking on the door, isn't he? It was great to see him in the Melbourne paddock. And as you say, Rob, he, he certainly is enjoying not racing. But talking about the racing, with these 23 race calendars, by the end of Checo Perez's current contract at Red Bull, he will have done 14 years in Formula One. And you do wonder just how much it takes out of the drivers, how much he's going to want to continue at the sharp end, he's made a few quid over the years, so that's no longer a factor. I don't know, could Checo, after 14 years, say, I've had enough? And then that suddenly 
starts a domino effect and does someone like Tsunoda, who Franz Toss says has made a massive step up over last winter, does that free up a place for Tsunoda in 25 or Daniel Ricciardo? We don't know really, Tom, because I mean, I, I, I never look at how many years a driver has been in Formula One or how, you know, I, I look at their results and also at how hungry they are. You know, and, and Acheco has proven to be a very consistent guy, always uh, very hungry because he's been in uncompetitive teams uh, most of his uh, career. So I think that one very important thing is if you start your career in Formula One and are on a, on a winning team or you are staying, you know, the first early age uh, of your Formula One career in a top team, it's easy to lose interest or motivation towards the end. And that could be after five years, eight years or, or 14. But when you have been on the tough end, you appreciate what you have. You appreciate what you have. And what Checo has right now is hugely interesting. He can wake up every Sunday morning thinking, if I have a good day today, I can win this one. And this is something that we've been fighting all our lives to be in that position. So therefore, I don't think that Checo will be tired of it because he hasn't had enough of it. Well, Will, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much for sending it in. Let's now move on to question two. Hi, gang. This is Roger from Sweden. I've uh, been following Formula One since I was a child, but I must admit I haven't actively followed Formula One since 2019. And I have a rule question for you. Uh, What can and cannot the teams tell their drivers over the radio compared to the pit boards. I just can't understand why they still have pit boards when everything seems to come over the radio. What's the difference and what's the rule difference? What are they allowed and not allowed to tell their drivers? Thank you for an awesome pod. Have a good time. Oh, Roger, thank you very much. Uh, Just going to throw it out there, Roger, that Ronnie Peterson favorite driver growing up loved him and of course the super swede but guys what do we think about car to pit radio versus pit boards it does seem to me that pit boards are anachronism why are they still there rob no i i think that they they serve a purpose pedro this is actually a driver's question but um pedro erroneously answered an engineering question earlier so i'm going to answer a driver question now and pedro you have to shut up if i'm wrong (laughs) (laughs) yes go ahead please so, so basically, the, the set information on that pit board, like number of laps, I mean, it, it depends what um, the driver wants. But, you know, just bringing out some 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 of the classics that, that, that are usually on there, it will be a countdown. So some drivers like to count the laps up. Some drivers like to count the laps down so they know how many laps are left of the race. Then they want to know the, 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 the position that they're in. Then they want to know the gap to the car in front and the gap to the car behind. So they know where that is because they look at it every single lap and they look at it every single Grand Prix. So they know where that information is. And there's no need for the team to be conveying that. It would be a bit boring if like every single time the car was coming down the straight, you know, the race engineer then had to get on the, the radio and say, the car in front is three and a half seconds. Your car behind is two and a half seconds. You are in P5, you know, the same information every single time. It's just... As the driver's passing, you know, their eyes flick to the right or the left if it's the, if it's the opposite circuit, and they can pick up that bit of information, and I think it's a comfort for them as well. Yeah, I, w- I would say, Roger, thanks for the question. I mean, the, mo- the reason for the pit boards to exist is that we normally mute the race engineers, and not true. Uh, we rely on the it's pit not boards. not true. You know? <laughs> not so, true. <laughs> being serious, uh, I hardly looked at my pit board ever. Okay, but uh, the reality the reality is that whenever I looked at the pit board, it was only because I didn't know exactly which how many laps to the end of the race or how many I was on a on a free practice session. I had uh, five laps to go, uh, and I I just wanted to know how many laps to go or uh, when did I have to pit. I hardly looked at my pit board though because as you said. Uh, the radio information of your race engineer is a lot. Uh, well, I I rely a lot more because it's a lot more interesting. However, sometimes also we have some radio issues and the radio communications are not good enough, so you have to rely on the pitboard. But it's it's more a backup than anything else. There you go, Roger. It's a backup. Thank you very much for sending in that question. And 
quick reminder to everybody else we we love what you have to ask us and that email address again for ask the nation is f1 nation at f1.com well to rob and to pedro thank you very much for your time it's been a super episode great to get both of your thoughts who's going to win in baku because we won't hear from either of you prior to that race a car engineered by rob <laughs> Pe- no. Petro's like my agent. He's desperate to get me back in there. It's, it's like he, he, Tom, he's clearly going to negotiate more than ten percent. Tom, you, you are getting nothing out of this deal. Max is going to win. How's that? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, perfect. And, and it's it's hard to see beyond Red Bull. Pedro, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, but I'm in a situation where I can only say that we have to aim high and we have to push the other teams into a mistake. Let's, uh, uh, let's... We Aston Martin. Yes, exactly. But it will be difficult to stop Red Bull uh, in Baku, given what we've seen the first three races, I would say. All right. Well, guys, thank you for that. Great to get your thoughts. And thank you to you at home for listening. We'll be back next Monday with our official preview of the 2023 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But for now, that's it. F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.